team. Let's see, am I on? We're good. Okay. Willie and Lucy, are you here? MIA. The Lord grants grace, right? Well, anyways, uh, when you see them, please welcome them as the newlyweds. And uh, just to give you uh, a brief update, I was able to speak to Pastor Rick McLean this past week by phone, since I kind of bailed on him last Sunday. And uh, anyways, he wanted to express to you and share with me just in a very joyful way how encouraged he was uh, in his time with all of you. For those of you who were able to speak to him at the picnic afterwards, he uh, just said how encouraged he and Janelle were and how much they really um, just believe and are just convicted by the truth of the gospel that you are their family and uh, how much they enjoy being together with you. So uh, thank you for sharing your love with them. I also, uh, this week, was able to get a call from the Morales family. Um, They called three times. The first two times I hung up on them because I didn't recognize the phone number on my phone. But love, as you learned from Pastor Rick last week, is patient. It endures all things and it hopes all things. And so Ricardo persisted. By the third time, I figured something was up and we were able to FaceTime with them. And they wanted to send their love and gratitude and thanks to you all, to this church, which they view in many ways as their church family as well. Ricardo was able to share with me, um, on the one hand, there is a huge amount of upheaval happening in Colombia at this present time, especially with many refugees coming in from Venezuela uh, and the streets being... Um, Very scary on the one hand. On the other hand, um, the believers there insisted that they start doing church services right away. So they've already had two church services with 11 people. One man in particular with tears in his eyes because it was the very first church service, Christian church service that he had ever been in. Um, They were also in looking for a place to live, were brought into a home where they looked in the closet and then saw... Uh, John MacArthur books and discovered that the person who owned the home was a believer and uh, had originally wanted to sell his home but was willing to rent it to them so that they could use it to start a local church. And after witnessing that, their real estate agent told Ricardo he needed to sit down with him and ask him questions about God. And so just to let you know that the Lord is already doing a mighty work in Colombia and the church plant there, but continue to keep them in prayer because I do believe that they need some rest after having had a busy schedule. And as one final update before we come to God's Word, I just want to thank you all as a church family for caring for our family last week and for caring for the boys as much as no one's thrilled, per se, about spending time in the emergency room. On the other hand, God uses those opportunities for gospel conversations and also uh, the love that the church family has and to demonstrate that our family is you. You're God's great gift to us. So I just want to thank you for your love and for your prayers last week. Well, as, as Julie and I were sitting in the hallway last Sunday, there was not enough room in the inn. All the rooms were taken by COVID-type patients, and so we were on a stretcher in the hall. And as we were in the stretcher in the hall, the Lord gave us an opportunity to have a few gospel conversations. That's what the Lord does when our lives seem difficult and hard. Those tend to be the times and moments where God uses us 
to shine the light brightly. It's not typically when we're rolling in the big car and the big home and the big career and everybody says, there goes the way of the world. It's usually in our weakness, in our frailty. And uh, we were able to have a gospel conversation with one of the nurses who shared with us that she was a single mom. She had a young daughter, three years old, uh, who still struggled to sleep through the night. Um, And as she shared her struggles with us, in many ways, we felt and shared with her, her struggles were not that dissimilar from many of you in our church. Struggles for many of us who are, quote-unquote, newborn parents, those with newborns. And with newborn babies come newborn parents who quickly learn that the arrival of a new life changes everything. True or false? Are newbie parents, does it change things? Just a little, right? And when there are diapers and much crying and little sleep throughout the night, it's very easy to forget, and I'm speaking from personal experience, what a miracle of grace God has given us in the life of this little child. And when we're tired, it's easy for fear and discontent to steal our joy, with kids or without kids. And frequently what we see happen, and I know this and I'm sharing from first-hand experiences, is when those moments come, our tendency, our fleshly tendency is to withdraw, to hide, to try and manage and try and control until we discover what God has given us is really uncontrollable. We can't manage it and we can't fix it. It doesn't work like our, our, our work. It doesn't work like a spreadsheet. Not everything is neat and tidy. And that, brothers and sisters, is by God's design. I think we fail to see that. It's by God's design that we begin to discover that what worked in our old lives fails miserably in the new life that God has given us. And brothers and sisters, the same is true in the life of a believer. This new life in Christ that God has given us is an amazing An incredible gift of God's grace. And many times we fail to see that and appreciate it because we're so busy trying to make it fit our old lives and get back to that life that we had before. Our life in Egypt. Our life when we thought we slept well. Our neat and tidy little lives which were just about me, myself, and I. Instead of trusting the Lord and allowing Him over time, to allow this mustard seed to grow into an incredible plant that gives shade and life to others. And I believe, brothers and sisters, because we fail to see that, so often we miss out on the beauty and the greatness of the gospel and what it's all about. And I do believe so much of our discouragement and despair comes from us trying to live the gospel life sort of as a hybrid with bits and pieces of our old life, all mixed in with those same expectations and those same desires. The honest truth, brothers and sisters, as we think about these things, we consider our lives. If we're honest with ourselves, and I think many of the 
newbie parents here would share with you the same thing. We need help to live the new life that God has given us. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it concealing or hiding and pretending everything is good. And we need help to appreciate and live this new life, not just when times are good, but especially when times are hard, when they're difficult. And as we consider the gospel life this morning and we look at Romans 5, we're going to see that by God's design, the gospel life is not an easier life, brothers and sisters. By God's design, it's intentionally a harder life. But the good news is the help that we need to live this life God has given us. And He's given it to us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He's given it to us in His Word if we care to hear. And this, brothers and sisters, is really what the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans and Roman, Romans chapter 5 is all about. If you'll recall that church in Rome, it was not an easy church. When you read between the lines and you read the book of Acts, you realize they had a tough deal. They had bigger fish to fry than masks and vaccines. The Jewish component of that church had been banned by an edict by the emperor at that time where they got thrown out of Rome and were not allowed to come back. They lost their businesses, they had to relocate their families, and they had to leave their church family. And then when they came back, they discovered that the church had become predominantly Gentile. And those who had helped start the church suddenly were visitors and guests in the church that they had played an integral part in starting. And then later in time with persecution would come, they would have to meet not with masks on, but in the catacombs and in tombs with skulls and dead bodies because those were the places that they could be without being persecuted. Their lives, brothers and sisters, were not easier. But... Their lives, brothers and sisters, were joyful beyond measure, abounding with grace, filled with the peace of God, and overflowing with a love that this world does not know and is unable to give. Why? Because their lives, brothers and sisters, were not about the comforts of this world, but about the love and life and lordship of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Theirs was a new life and a different life. And that, brothers and sisters, is what the gospel is all about. And that's what Romans and Romans chapter 5 is all about. And that brings us to our first point. And I'm going to ask the AV team if you can help me. Thank you so much. The gospel is all about God's gracious gift of a completely new life and a new family in Christ. The gospel is all about God's gracious gift of a completely new life and a new family in Christ. Now, I know this sounds familiar, and I know this sounds obvious. But brothers and sisters, apart from Sunday, how different and how new are our lives? And what difference does the gospel make in your work, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your ministry, and in your family. How different is each aspect of these lives from 
the life of your coworker. What was an encouragement yesterday to me at Willie's wedding and at the weddings that have happened of all the folks who have come through is how different that wedding was from typical weddings in America. It was markedly different. It's not because of us, brothers and sisters. It's because the life of the gospel and the life God has given us and the marriages He gives us and the families He gives us and the church He's given us, it's not the same as the world. But we do need to look at our lives and say, okay, what about the rest of our lives? What about the lives that we're living? And for many of us in America, and many of us, who have been raised in the church, and that's many of us, if we're honest, we have to say many times there's very little difference between what our lives look like and how they function and what we do from our co-workers and the rest of the world. Let's be honest about that. Let's be honest as we look at the church landscape across America and see churches splitting over masks and vaccination and elders stepping down. And I'm not saying we're better. I'm just saying it doesn't look that much different from what we read in the news. And I raise it because there's a burden for the way in which we blur these lines. And we view the Christian life and the gospel as just an improvement or a ticket to a better or easier life. We think the same way. I had a brother recently share with me. A brother who has served in leadership training, not at this church, okay? Share with me how he was starting a business. And he shared with me how he was starting his new business. And then he turned and looked at me and he said, well, you know, we're trying to get the word out there. We're trying to build a community. We're trying to bring people together. I guess in a lot of ways, Mark, it's just like planting a church. And, brothers and sisters, that's many times how people think about church. We come looking for a glorified view of friends. We want a community. We want, as Pastor James Lee shared, cheers. We want a bar where everybody knows our name. We want a place to gather. That's what people are looking for. There's a saying, people may come for the preaching, but they're going to stay for the relationships. And so those are the two tickets that we try and punch. Do we have preaching that draws people, and do we have relationships that keep them here? And, brothers and sisters, when you look at that, it's not that much different from the business models of the world. But in Romans chapter 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul explains to us that the gospel is something completely different altogether because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The power of God, a power that comes and changes our life and destroys our old life. Newsfeed. By definition, the gospel comes in and God's grace, which is His infinite goodness and love, comes in and destroys everything that is destructive in our life. Our sin, our sinful desires. Yes, even our desires, brothers and sisters. How often do people insist, my sinful desires are okay as long as I don't act on them. 
It's okay for me to hate someone as long as I don't shoot them. It's okay for me to lust after someone as long as I don't sleep with them. No, brothers and sisters. The Apostle Paul shares the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1 through 4, and then Romans 5, the Apostle Paul begins to explain why this gospel changes everything. Now it does it over time, progressively. But nonetheless, there's an onward march to change everything in our lives, our work, our marriage, our families, our parenting, our desires, our goals. To change them, brothers and sisters, into the life and goals and the beauty and the grace and the goodness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You want to know where the gospel life is going? It's bringing you into the life of Christ and making you look like Him. And that looks, brothers and sisters, completely different, quite frankly, from many of the mega churches and many of the churches across America. So don't look at them, look at Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is why it is good news. Because the gospel is God's gracious gift and work. Not the gracious gift and work of men. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And because I love you, this morning we're going to read all of it. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. For while we were still weak. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him. From the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned before, when Julie and I brought our newborn boys home from the hospital, I don't think we fully understood or appreciated what we were bringing home with us. And I mean that in a very good way. I don't think we fully appreciated how hard this new life was going to be, though many parents had told us how hard it was going to be. I don't think we fully understood or appreciated how the arrival of this new life was going to change absolutely everything in our lives. And I don't think we fully understood and appreciated the greatness of God's grace that was at work in our lives and in our marriage, especially when this new gift of life was necessarily difficult and hard. And here in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul begins to show the saints in Rome and us why the experience of the gospel is not unlike the arrival of a newborn in a home or a family. And this is because the gospel is not about, brothers and sisters, doing a patch job or fixing up our lives. That is, very often when people come into counseling, how they come. Please fix my wife. Please fix my marriage. Please fix our communication. And as we think about those things and people come, please fix my in-laws. Please fix my parents. We reveal how often in our mindset, our view is that we come to Jesus to fix the things in our life that are hard or difficult or making us feel uncomfortable. And then later when Jesus himself comes in and makes our life uncomfortable again, how often, brothers and sisters, do we get bitter or discouraged or discontent or frustrated and say, God doesn't work, the word doesn't work, Jesus isn't listening. If he listened and loved me, my life would be easier, more comfortable, more wonderful. Like all those Disney movies that were mentioned yesterday. And I'm glad Britt made the distinction.
Brothers and sisters, what the Apostle Paul is telling us in all those words, and go home and read them, I know it's an awful lot. He's coming and he's sharing that this life that God has given us in Christ is a precious gift. You can't earn, work, or take it for yourself. It has to be given to you by God. That's what a gift is. You don't go to the store and buy yourself a gift. Some people do, okay, in this day and age. But that's not how it works with God. It's a gift from God. And the gift that He's giving us is on His terms, not ours. And it is a gift of a completely new and different life in every possible way. It's a new life that necessarily, necessarily, necessarily changes everything. And it does so in and through the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now in verse 12 through 21, what the Apostle Paul is showing us in the second half is how this life is different. In the whole chapter, he's showing us how it's different. But in the second portion, he's showing us very specifically how this life changes everything, why it changes everything, and why our old life needs to go when there's only one life in Christ to live. Could I have my next PowerPoint, please? You'll recall this slide that we mentioned a few weeks ago. The life... And the family and the people of this world are divided into two. The past week we've watched the Olympics and we've seen the parade of nations come through. And I can never tell the difference between Taiwanese China and mainland China. Because they all call themselves by similar names. And and I have no idea why Russia is now RA, the Russia Olympic Committee. And as you see that parade of nations, they're all the clothes that people dress themselves in. They're all names that they give themselves for their nations. You see that that parade of nations is all man-made. Like race. Like all the distinctions that we make about ourselves. What clothes we wear, how we talk, what language. There are choices. But when we come to God, there are only two peoples. There are only two families. And there are only two lives. There is the life... And family and people that come from Adam. And there is the life and family and people that come from God's eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And these two lives and these two families and these two people groups, by origin and by nature, are radically and completely different in every possible way. It's not rocket science, brothers and sisters. They're different. Though we try to blur the lines before God... God is not fooled by the color of your skin, excuse me, or the clothes you wear or the job you have, whether you're a physician, a pastor, or an engineer. God only sees two types of people. And we're either one or the other, brothers and sisters. And olives don't come from thorn bushes, and thorn bushes don't yield peaches. And the difference goes right down to our DNA and the seed that gave us life. The seed that makes us. Paul writes in verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made 
righteous. Sinful or righteous. It goes back to your DNA and your seed. And these two lives and families always will be completely different because their origin, their genesis, their beginning, their roots are different. And the first life and family begins with the fallen and disobedient son of God's creation, Adam. He is the legal head, the originator and the father of the entire human race. We all begin, brothers and sisters, as the sons and daughters of Adam. Yellow, black, or white, we are the same. And the new life and family of the gospel begins with the eternal, incarnate, holy Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the legal head, the Lord, the originator, the father of the family and people of faith in God. Two families, brothers and sisters, and they could not be more different. And in verses 12 through 21, the Apostle Paul shows us one life, one family, one people are born from the lies and sin of Satan. This is the point that Jesus makes in John, especially to the Pharisees. The other life and family and people are born from the truth and grace of God's Word. One life and family and people begin with Adam. They begin with Adam's discontent and disbelief and disobedience to God's word as Adam selfishly tried to take a life that did not belong to him. A life independent of God's word. Now I know that's from Genesis and we spent time looking at it. And I know people say, well that's not my life. I didn't go and and steal fruit from somebody. But brothers and sisters, how often are your goals, your desires, your aspirations an expression of a life of your own desires apart from God's Word? A life for all the desires and goals that we see in the world. Get the house, get the career, get the family, get the wife. And when you don't get those things, how discouraged do you get? A life independent of God's Word. We're more the sons and daughters of Adam, brothers and sisters, than we care to admit. And the other life and family and people begin with Jesus in love, in faith, and in obedience to God's Word. Selflessly and graciously giving His life on the cross as a substitute and sacrifice, not for His guilt or sins, but for the guilt and sins of others. Brothers and sisters, that's what we sang this morning. Those are the songs that Eric and Sonia and the praise team walked us through. And as the saying goes, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Like father, like son. One life and family and people naturally take life and blame shift like Adam and the other life and family and people naturally give and forgive like Jesus. Had this conversation with the elders. And one of the elders, not me, voiced this concern. When it comes to bitterness and lack of forgiveness. He made the point we shouldn't and we don't have to teach believers how to forgive. It comes naturally to those who have been forgiven much. Like the disreputable woman who came and poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And wiped it with her hair. Oh, Jesus, don't you know she's an unclean woman? But those who have been forgiven much, brothers and sisters, they love much. It comes naturally. 
one life and family and people abide by faith in the word and work of God. The other place their hopes and their confidence in the works and words of men. One life, brothers and sisters, is sweet and pleasing to the Lord. The other life, brothers and sisters, is an offense and stench to the Lord. And it raises the question, brothers and sisters, which life are we living? In part, Paul puts this out so we can see the distinction between the two. And it helps us as we consider our own lives. It's the life we're living. Is it a sweet and fragrant aroma, what we sang this morning, to the Lord? Is it pleasing to Him? Or is it one that's pleasing to the world? Jesus said, by your fruit or by their fruit, you will know them. And is it fruit like Adam or is it fruit like Jesus? Peaches naturally smell and taste like peaches. Roadkill smells and tastes of roadkill. Now the way we blur the lines, brothers and sisters, is we typically blame shift and say, well, we don't smell any worse than the next person. And in fact, sometimes we feel good about ourselves and feel like we're better or we're going to get a ticket to heaven because our lives are better than our neighbor's. But brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, God is the one who has the last say. My parents used to send me off. They sent me off because I wanted to go. But they used to send me off to a horse ranch in the summers. And so I would spend a week or two or even three riding horses, cleaning horses, helping to clean out the stalls of horses. I was happier than a pig in mud. But when my parents would come and pick me up, my mother in particular, who tends to be a little hygiene sensitive, being a former nurse, would have a look of disgust on her face. And she would say, we have to get you into a bath quickly. And I'm sure that drive home from the horse ranch was agonizing for them. And I couldn't smell a thing. Why? Because I'd been with horses and in horse poo all week. It was no big deal to me. But for those who hadn't been there, it was almost unbearable and intolerable. And brothers and sisters, when our lives are saturated in the scubalon of this world, we smell of it and we taste of it. And after a while, we don't think it's that big of a deal and we stop smelling it and it's no big deal because everybody else smells just like us. But I believe to some extent, brothers and sisters, what the Apostle Paul is coming and saying here, brothers and sisters, is the gospel is good news. Because God just doesn't come and take us and take our clothes and throw it in the wash. He gives us a completely new life altogether. And the life that he gives us is the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is a life that is wholly pleasing to God. And that brings us to our second point for this morning. The new life and family God gives in and through Christ alone is holy. And it's wholly pleasing to God. The new life and family God gives in and through Christ alone is holy and wholly pleasing to God. And that raises the question, what does a life and a family and a people that are pleasing to God look like? 
And the Apostle Paul here answers that question very simply. It looks like Jesus. It does not look like Adam. And this is something that the religious leaders of the day and the religious leaders of our day fail to see. We believe that a life that is pleasing to God comes with a brilliant knowledge of the Bible. We believe that what is pleasing to God is to be able to fill a church or to bring countless souls to say, I accept Jesus into my life. Just... Let's think about that phrase, I accept Jesus into my life. I know that's how many of you share your testimony. And I know with new believers, that is them trying to get their hands around what's happened. But that idea of packing the infinite God into our agenda, our life, our goals and dreams. Brothers and sisters, what's pleasing to the Lord is very simple. Whether you're in the pulpit whether you're in a mega church or whether you're working at Google and Apple. Is your life like Jesus? It's not rocket science. Read the Gospels, look at it, see what Jesus is, and look at your life and your family. Look at your marriage and how you shepherd your wife. Look at how we shepherd our children. Took my boys out this week to get them out of the house to help, to help their mom because she needed some recovery time. Took them out to play tennis and dad was cranky and irritable because things weren't going the way I wanted. How does that match up with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Next day I asked my boys for forgiveness and said, please forgive your dad for being crabby. It comes from pride. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And brothers, the sweet thing about the Lord is he gives us forgiveness. He gives us grace. He reconciles our relationship. And He gives us new relationships because He gives us a new life. And that life, brothers and sisters, belongs not to us. It belongs to Jesus. It's not our life. And this morning I want to draw your attention to three characteristics that the Apostle Paul highlights in Romans 5 that make this life and this family and this people of the gospel Not just different, but pleasing to God. And the first one is the love of God. I know that sounds obvious, but it is the love of God in verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul takes us to the love of God. It shows us the foundation of this new gospel life. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul explains that the life of the gospel begins and ends with the selfless, the sacrificial, the life-giving love of God in Christ. That is demonstrated on the cross. As opposed to the selfish, self-serving love of men that we see on a day-to-day basis, and that Adam championed. Brothers and sisters, this is everything that Pastor Rick was sharing with us last week. This is 1 Corinthians 13 love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love bears all things. Love hopes or believes all things. Love endures. And it doesn't quit.
God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, where does your life begin and end? Where do your loves and desires begin and end? You see what attracted tax collectors and prostitutes, or at least some of them, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is because he had a love that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not have. The love of God. That's the first thing that sets apart this gospel life. And this is what God gives us in and through the person of Christ. And when you meet someone who has been saved and forgiven of their sins, you see how they love brothers and sisters. How they graciously come alongside. How they generously give. How they bear sins. Why? Because this is what Christ has done for them. The second is faith. The second is faith in the work and word of God. As opposed to the words and works of men. As opposed to faith in ourselves. In Romans 1-5, through 5, chapter 1-5, through 5, the Apostle Paul uses the word faith 27 times. And I have news for you. He's not talking about faith in ourselves. He's not saying you've got to believe in yourself. He's talking about faith in the word and the work of God that has been demonstrated in the life of Christ. He's talking about confidence and faith in the God who created the world in six days and has proved his love for sinners by giving his own son to die on the cross for their sins. He's talking about a faith, a trust, a confidence that God will do what He says He will do. And this, of course, is the testimony of Jesus' life. Complete faith, complete confidence in the Father's plan. Complete faith in the Spirit's leading. Complete faith in the Word and work of God. Even if that word said he would have to be rejected, humiliated, and crucified for the sins of many. And this is the rub that Jesus has continually with the disciples. He says, can't you see? Don't you believe? Can't you understand? Can't you see? It is necessary that the Son of Man must be crucified and give his life. And then be raised on the third day. And that's expressed in Jesus' life, brothers and sisters, through his life of listening to the Father and his time of prayer. Where did Jesus run when things were hard and ugly? He went to be alone to have fellowship with the Spirit of God and the Father. That was his sweet spot. That was his joy. That was his rest. That was his delight. That's what filled his heart and renewed and strengthened his physical or the man, Jesus, To continue to do the work of the cross. Brothers and sisters, where do you find your comfort? Trust in God, even if it means rejection, humiliation, or suffering. What do you trust in, brothers and sisters? And what makes you anxious? The love of God... Faith in the word and work of God, the third and final here, is the righteousness of God. Righteousness is being right with God. It means being pleasing to Him. It means perfectly fulfilling and observing and obeying all that God has asked of us. To love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. To love our neighbors as ourselves. 
It's the Ten Commandments in 1 Corinthians 13. It's perfect and complete and joyful obedience. Not partial obedience, brothers and sisters. It's to love God completely by hearing and obeying God completely. Now, the way we rationalize this a little bit, brothers and sisters, is we say, well, I do most of it. Or we say, I tried my hardest. When and if, and this is a very rare occasion, when and if Julie sends me out to go to Target to pick up milk and Band-Aids and maybe when the kids were young, maybe diapers and wipes, and I come home with a jug of milk, maybe I get some coffee for myself as well, but I leave the diapers and the wipes, how encouraged do you think Julie would be? How much do you think she's going to buy it when I say, yeah, but I got the milk. What are you so upset about? I got the milk. I got really good milk. I got organic milk. And brothers and sisters, that's what we do in our worship. We come in and we make excuses for ourselves. And that's what Adam does. And we lower the standards. And we start to look like what we tolerate, as one pastor said. And that's what happens in church. Well, we're just trying our hardest. We're just doing our best. We're better than the next guy. But brothers and sisters, what is pleasing to the Lord is a life of complete love. A life of complete and perfect faith. Trusting God at all times, especially when times are hard, not when times are good. All times. And a life of love and faith that is expressed in complete obedience. Because if we love God completely and we trust Him completely, we're going to do as He says completely, even when things look dark. Because we say we love you even if it hurts, and we trust you that you're going to bring us through this storm. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we call holiness. Holiness, brothers and sisters, is to be wholly devoted to the Lord. The entirety of our life given over to God, placed in His hands. And if you want the image of the sweetness of holiness, because, you know, when we think of holiness, we think of, you know, harsh nuns in Catholic school, right? Legalistic. Oh, why do you have to be so legalistic? The image of holiness, brothers and sisters, is a newborn baby sitting in its mother's arms, nurtured, cradled, protected, and fed. A life that is good, where there is peace and there is goodness and grace abounds because that child is pleasing to its parent and it rests in the love of that parent's arms. A life that is completely given over to the one who loves that child perfectly. Brothers and sisters, that's what holiness is. So let me ask you, how many of us live a holy life? How many of us are wholly devoted to God? Jesus was not exaggerating or fibbing or lying when he said, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom. Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, 
Are we truly pleasing to anyone other than ourselves? And even then, we disappoint ourselves fairly frequently. We will even divide over the preference of wearing a mask. It's burdensome. It's hard. It's difficult. Brothers and sisters, are our lives wholly given to the Lord and to the people of God? Jesus did not look out for his own preferences. He lived out of love for the Father and gave his life for others. And scripture does not lie. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way. And we see that there's only one life that is pleasing to God. And it's not your life, brothers and sisters. And it is not mine. It is the life of God's Holy Son, Jesus Christ, who, as we sang this morning, took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, and Philippians 2.8 became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did God say repeatedly throughout the Gospels? Audibly to the disciples, repeatedly, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Brothers and sisters, why is the gospel good news? Because in Jesus, that's the life He gives to sinners like you and I. But there's a caveat. He gives it in exchange for our life of sin. You can't have both. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. The gospel changes everything because it is God's good news in Christ. It is not our good advice. The gospel changes everything because it is God's good news in Christ, not our good advice. Now, just so you know that your pastor tries not to plagiarize, I ripped this off from the Radical book, page 12 that we handed out to all the families. And parents, please go home and open up that page 12 and 13. Read it for yourself and then read it for your kids. And they make the point, the author there very well makes the point, the frequent mistake we make is thinking of the gospel as advice. And what is advice? Advice is an opinion or a recommendation, a plan of action that helps us achieve our goals. In our careers, our marriage, our ministries. So we get a life coach. And we get a spiritual coach. And we get a marriage coach. And this is typically what we're looking for when we seek counsel. When we have a problem that needs fixing, we're looking for advice. Typically when there's something we want that we don't have. The job, the relationship, the marriage, the ministry... And the types of phrases that come up when we discuss those things is, well, what should I do? Just tell me what to do. And then when we hear maybe advice that we don't quite like, we say, well, I don't understand or I'll figure it out on my own. But let's take a moment, brothers and sisters, and exegete those phrases that we've all said, myself included. Who's the subject? It's I, it's me. Who does the action? It's I, it's me. Who fixes? Who saves? Who's in charge? It's all me. 
Just give me the formula so I can do this and have the great life, career, ministry, great church. Brothers and sisters, therein lies the problem. Because you can't save your life or get rid of your sin, and neither can I. That's why you go to a Christian bookstore, at least in the old days when there were Christian bookstores. And they were packed with advice books. Because that's what this fallen world is all about. It's about confidence and hope in what we can do to fix our lives and get the life we want. And when we don't get it or we can't get it, we spiral down into the three D's. Discontent, discouragement, and despair. Just look at all the ugliness online. When athletes fail to perform to the expectations of what we want, whether it's in gymnastics or wherever else. And we see when we go down this point, when we think of the gospel as advice, and we think of church as advice, and we think of church life as a lifestyle. Well, I just have to serve, and then everything will be good. We see what we're doing is we're reducing God to a genie in a bottle. We're trying to live that movie, Aladdin. Just rub it and come out and give me a kingdom now. The princess, the palace, all of those different things. And when we don't get it now, we get angry. And brothers and sisters, if I'm honest with you, and I try to be, that is a life that looks good for a minute and moment while you're winning. But it doesn't last. And in fact, it destroys your soul. And we see that day by day from the richest to the poorest in this nation. And brothers and sisters, the testimony of God's word in Romans 5 and the good news of the Bible is that Jesus is no genie. His gospel is not advice. New life in Christ is not a Disney movie. Jesus is the eternal and incarnate creator of the universe. He's the Son of God to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord of all. The gospel is not advice. It is His good news of a radically new and different king and life that destroys our old life of sin and death and changes everything. And everything, brothers and sisters, means everything. You want to serve the Lord, you need a completely new life. One that is holy and pleasing. And if Christ isn't abounding in your heart and getting bigger and bigger day by day, your life will just be a train wreck. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross to give you a better life, brothers and sisters. He came to give you His life. A life that is pleasing to the Lord. And what's beautiful about that life is because it's pleasing to the Lord, the Apostle Paul points out to us in those first verses from 1 through 5, he points out that it is a life that is right with God. It is a life that is pleasing to God. It is a life that has peace with God. Peace. Intimate and close fellowship with God. Being God's friend. Being able to call upon Him as Father. It brings you into a place where you stand not on your own works and achievement, your own parenting, your own ability to lead. What you stand on is the grace of God. He gives us access and brings us into this grace in which we stand. Why? Not because of anything we do, but because our confidence is in Christ and not in ourselves. 
and it is beautiful and it is wonderful and it is infinitely good. And this is the reason there is joy, brothers and sisters, and hope even in the face of suffering. As we see at the bottom of the slide, the reason the gospel is good news is because not only does Jesus give you a new king and a new life, Not only does He give you a new relationship with God, He gives you everything that you need to live this life. And He gives you a new story and a new ending too. But it's a story, brothers and sisters, as we look at the story, and we look, and I just want to highlight two verses really quickly for you. It's verse 2b. He says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's a new story, brothers and sisters, that is not the story of this world and not your story. It's the story of Christ. And as God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, pours His love into our hearts, and as He unites us with His life, He gives us the story of Christ. And the story of Christ, brothers and sisters, comes with a cross. And the reason the Apostle Paul is able to say we rejoice in our suffering is because our hope is no longer in ourselves. It's no longer in our circumstances. It's no longer in our spouse. It's no longer in our pastor. It's no longer in our quote-unquote church. Our hope is in someone who loves us perfectly and has proven that by giving his life on the cross. It's a love that is perfect where He is risen from the grave and lives to intercede on your behalf. That's where our hope is. And when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, this is why he's able to rejoice even when he's in prison. Even when he's being whipped. Even when things are not going well. Because he realizes when we're part of Christ's story, this suffering is temporary and small in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Our hope, brothers and sisters, is no longer in our careers, our education, our church. Our hope is in the glory of God. The glory of the cross. The glory of God's grace and love that He gives freely and in abundance to all who by faith are willing to let go of their old life of sin and worthlessness and instead, like the prostitutes and the tax collectors, are willing to come and follow Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Our union with Christ does not protect us from suffering, but commits us to suffering. Because of the closeness of our fellowship with our Lord, we find ourselves sharing in weakness, sharing in suffering, sharing in persecution, sharing in trials, sharing in shame, like that experienced by Jesus Himself. Herein lies the path, brothers and sisters, of our sanctification. Because this is Christ's life, it is a life of joy, love, and peace with God that gives grace and life to others. 
Why, brothers and sisters? Because the gospel is not advice. It's good news. Brothers and sisters, what gospel are you living? Is this good news your good news? Now, I want to make a small connection to our church family here this morning. We have asked you all, if you're members of our church, to recommit your church membership, in part because we've been apart and, you know, streaming and we haven't been together during COVID, to fill out the application of your membership. And the reason we're doing it is because, not because I think you need more paperwork to do, or that the elders need more paperwork to read. We do it out of love for you because we want you to stop and go back through your testimonies and look back at your life before you were saved and after. We want you to be encouraged to see the work that God has done in your life, His goodness, His grace, because we lose sight of that. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, we want to bring the church back together to remind you of what specifically Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose is all about. We don't have a children's program. We don't have a men's group. We don't have a women's group. And we're not trying to start a men's movement or a women's movement. We're here really for one thing and one thing alone. It's to celebrate the lordship and love and life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's to bring sinners to Him, to His lordship and His life. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20, what we talk about making disciples. We're here simply to bring people to Jesus. And how do we do that? Through His ministry of the Word and prayer. So, brothers and sisters, that's kind of all we do. But it is all we do. Because it's good news, brothers and sisters. And because it changes everything. And that's all we are about. And so we want you to think about that and think about your own lives. And see in your heart if indeed, like that baby, you rest in the arms of the one who loves you perfectly. And you're ready to give your life again to him and to his family and to his new people, the church. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your good news. Thank you for what you've done for us, what we could never do for ourselves what we could never pay for or accomplish or achieve. You have given us a life that is holy and wholly pleasing to you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to celebrate it, not just in the good times, but the hard times too. In your name we pray, amen.